Hello and welcome everyone. We are back after a slight summerish early summer break. This is Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. My name is Andy Richardson and sitting somewhere well away from me, socially distancing, <laughs> is Thomas Danqua. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. I like the fact that I'm Thomas Danqua now as well. Thomas Danqua. Well, I noticed... Difficult. Well, I sent you an email earlier and I noticed you're you're down as Thomas. I mean, officially, I'm an Andrew um, mm. and, you know, but I, but only my mum calls me Andrew when I've been naughty. Yep, exactly the same. Exactly the same. Look at those beautiful British <laughs> names, eh? Andrew and Thomas. I know, I know. Well, I'm actually, I'm actually Andrew William James. Oh, really? I've got two middle names. Yeah, it's very posh, but I, you well, as, as you well know, I am the opposite of posh. Uh, anyway, anyway, we, we digress. It's been a long while, hasn't it? It's been a long while. It's been an eventful, eventful a few weeks. So yeah, it really has. It has been a while. Um, we have left it. Well, like you said, I think it's four weeks now since the last podcast. Yeah, but we've got we've got some good reasons, and all will will be revealed uh, at some point. Um, but for the time being, um, let's just say, yeah, we've we've had our reasons that that, that you know that we've been a bit slack. But um, you know, we're still here for you, listeners. We're still riding the crest of the mental health wave and um, tr- trying our best to uh, make some sense of this. Uh, of this minefield that is mental health, men's mental health. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think as well, it's worthwhile mentioning how we've really been busy on the um, on the weekly Man Up Zoom catch-up sessions, haven't we? So that's something we've been really yeah. putting our effort and attention into. And I think that's been an absolute, well, dare I say it, a resounding success. It's been, it's been really good, actually. Yeah, we've got, you know, we've got people that dip in, in and out of it. We've got, um, our regulars and, um, you know, speaking for myself and I know for you as well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very much for people to sort of, um, offload and, 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 and get ideas at from, but it's actually really good for me. you know, I, I, every time I do it, I always feel a lot better, you know, so I can really, from a personal note, I can really recommend it, uh, to people just, just as a sort of, um, tool to you know just to sort of get get by and and just add to your sort of mental health wellness you know it's like but it's it's almost like going to the gym once a week isn't it it's like a mental health gymnasium it's totally amazing it really is amazing and like like you said i selfishly i feel like i benefit massively from it every week massively so it is really good to sort of have a i guess a brotherhood that we can just check in with each other touch base let's make sure that we're all good yeah, brotherhood. Although, yeah, there's a couple of times you were, you've used the word brotherhood. I'm a little bit worried we're going to go a little bit Ku Klux Klan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm a bit worried we're going to go a little bit, you know, the old, <laughs> the old fraternity. You know, when I see you, we'll do that little handshake where we, where, where we, where we sort of, uh, Tickle the inside of each other's palms. Oh my god! All right, stop talking. <laughs> Sorry, Guys, uh, anyone out there? Sorry. The meeting ID number is eight three two eight three six two zero seven four nine, and there is a password on that, and it is Mental Men. 
So we are there every Wednesday at 8 p.m. So feel free to join us and check in if you're feeling a bit like you need a bit of support. You need to, as Andy said, vent and just release. And if you're feeling great, come and join as well because we love that energy. It really helps and it might just inspire somebody else who's going through it. Absolutely. Well well said, sir. Now, um, talking of the Zoom, there is one man who's an actual he's he's been a bit of a legend on this on the on the Zoom calls. You know, his yeah. his face pops up. He uh he offers some fantastic uh advice and um sort of getting to know him a little bit. Uh he's he's uh he's got quite an interesting sort of story and, and um he, he actually sort of works in the field of mental health. So uh, we thought we'd get him along as a guest on our podcast. And that man is Dave Furness. Um, now, as an introduction to Dave Furness, I uh, really, if I was professional, I should have had all my notes up here and um, and I should be able to give you a little bit of a background <laughs> on him. But but I, but uh, I completely forgot because we went jogging this morning. So Tommy, I'll leave that over to you to do. Okay. <laughs> to do <the> <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you very much. Okay, so Dave Furness, the absolute legend that is, and uh, the creator of the Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. Famously, we will see him driving around in his car talking to his guests. But obviously, during lockdown, it's not been happening. He is a wonderful individual. If he doesn't know about it is probably not worth knowing absolutely stand-up yep. type of guy fully down to earth and totally humble but an absolute legend dave welcome to the podcast thank you so much for joining us oh, gents i'm i'm absolutely gobsmacked what a wonderful introduction thank you both so much for having me it's an absolute pleasure to be here and yeah just want to reiterate the definitely anyone listening definitely check out the wednesday uh zoom calls they're, they're great I, I love them um, like you said, Andy, I, I, every week I just come away feeling better afterwards and, you know, just great to catch up with a bunch of guys and, and almost put the world to rights and, and also, you know, get out anything that, that may have been, been stuck. So yeah, a, a massive hat tip to you guys for the work that you do. And, uh, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, guys. Legend. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, cheers, Dave. Now, yeah, now listen, um, so we've been on your podcast and we've, we've, we've um sort of told you a bit about ourselves so um be really interesting to know a little bit about your background and your mental health journey dave so i don't know whether you can sort of uh, enlighten us on 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 that sort of area absolutely absolutely um i was uh i guess it was interesting for me like my background was always uh business i, I left university and uh sort of fell into e-commerce but basically selling things online um working for different companies and then became self-employed and then i set up a company uh so a large part of my 20s was just head down work 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 and uh, i was in a relationship at the time the relationship turned into my wife and then it was it was interesting like i said it, I, I knowing what i know now I was a full-blown perfectionist. At the time, I didn't know that. Um, and at the time, nothing that I ever did uh, was good enough for me. Like, no matter, you know, it seems crazy now. And people say to me, like, Dave, you, you know, you, 
you were successful, you had the house, you had the car, you had the online business, you had the freedom to travel, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but at the time, for me, it was never enough. I was always chasing the the moving goalpost. Mm-hmm. And um, that just led to a pretty miserable experience. Um, and then com- accompanied with that was, uh, you know, a relationship I was in at the time where there wasn't what I would call emotional safety there. My partner uh, had some pretty strong negative views around mental health, uh, basically alluding to it being weak and being an excuse and all these sorts of things. So I was very quickly going down a a sort of a a depressed path um, uh, with nobody to talk to, which led to intense feelings of isolation uh, feeling like I didn't quite fit in in the world and wondering what the point was. And I guess the, the final straw really for me was um, I was with the relationship I was in. Obviously, I was running uh, businesses online. Uh, my wife at the time had just finished her PhD and she wanted to get a job online. And that was always like we she we always both were supposedly we both worked to travel. And when she she got offered to do a PhD, that meant that we'd have to stay in Manchester for four years. She'd need to be in the lab a lot. So I said, well, okay, it's a great opportunity. We'll stay in Manchester for four years. You'll get your PhD and then we'll go traveling. And yeah, that was the agreement. And, um, oh, that's what I thought the agreement was. And then she gets her PhD. She gets the online job. And we were in the process of selling the apartment that we have. And she turns around and starts looking at houses in, you know, about half an hour away from where we were. And I'm like, what, what, why are we looking at houses? She's like, Oh, I want to live, you know, half an, at least half an hour away from my parents. I was like, and, and for me, obviously at this point, I, my, my self-esteem was pretty low. Um, I, I, we'd not been married long, maybe just over a year, if that. Um, and, I was falling under that masculine pressure of happy wife, happy life, you know, keep the wife happy and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And, and all of a sudden, like I said, it just felt like once again, the goalposts had been moved massively. Like I was working towards this goal of four years. We both work online. We travel the world. Um, we both make money online. We can go and stay wherever, you know, spend a month in Thailand, spend a month in Bali, spend a month in Australia. That was always the the dream as far as I was concerned. And then for it to turn around and be like, oh, now we're going to go and buy a house. I'm like, well, why, why would we do that? Uh, but at the time, I didn't feel like I could say no because I had to keep her happy. It's what she wanted. Um, and th- this all, can, you know, th- there's a lot of inner turmoil going on at the time, a lot of very, very dark thoughts in my head about not really wanting to be here anymore, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy. Uh, and I remember that I think the final straw was I just come out of a meeting uh, at Barclays and Market Street in Manchester. We just I just got approved for a mortgage for a house that I didn't want to buy, and I had a full on breakdown, like full on panic anxiety attack. I got home, I was like, "Nope, this is not right. This is not good." Uh, and things. Very, I, I went to actually after that. I went to uh, I booked a session with a, a counselor. Um, because my parents and, and my wife were now worried about me and obviously thinking that this was not just me being a bit silly and, you know, this was actually quite kind of serious. 
because they they both they, everyone you know I felt awful. I talk about shame. Like I was having a full blown meltdown in front of the people closest to me, who I'm supposed to be able to be vulnerable with, but I felt awful. Um, so I think at that point I had nothing to lose by. I'd always been kind of <laughs> very manly in the terms of like avoiding therapy because I thought it was like admitting defeat. I was like, no, I've got this, and I definitely didn't. Um, so I, I went to go and see a, a therapist counselor, and um, things changed very quickly after that. She did a great job of creating safety for for a conversation that I clearly needed to have, uh, encouraging me to be vulnerable, and I would say within weeks, uh, maybe months, maybe within a couple of months after that, um. Me and the wife had separated. We'd filed for divorce. But my whole life changed very, very quickly. And I started the healing process. Um, so, yeah, that, I don't know if that's given you enough, guys. I can waffle. So no, feel free no, to no, 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 it's, oh, whatever you've got there. It's, it's, fasc- it's fascinating. It's fascinating. What, just, just as a side thing, what type of therapy was it that you, that you, that you had? Um, it, was, it was literally just a talking therapy. Um, she was... Just uh, I, I, she, it wasn't like an a name to as like EMDR or you know CBT or anything like that. It was literally just somebody I could go and talk to. Um, so I guess talking therapy would be the closest thing you could call it. Right, and so what? What? Because th- really, that was just the beginning for you, though, wasn't it? What I mean, what? Yes. What sort of? Um, change i mean from there you completely change your life around in 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 a very short space of time but how did you get to the point where you've now become this sort of mental health advocate this this um this this sort of guru yeah (laughs) yeah yeah wow did you just say guru at the same time as me at the same time yes i did what the hell we are in the world because <laughs> because tommy's right um you know there, there's not much uh that dave doesn't know about mental health you know you mention a book and he'll say yeah i've read that and you <laughs> might as well you you could try this one and this one you know and it's like what the hell oh, guys. um so I, i'm definitely not a guru does um i know charlie who you've had <laughs> he's guru level you've had charlie on the podcast and he's, he's a I, I look to charlie like god level i'm like yeah he knows so yeah. much um but uh, yeah. I think for me, this this is something which I found very interesting is when I was in my depressed state, I'd lost not only a love for life, but I'd lost my curiosity. And I've always been a curious person. And the moment that uh, this my, my therapist, a lovely lady called Sarah, she... Um, started you know i guess putting me back on track i guess and um reframing the story i was telling myself all of a sudden my curiosity came back and i wanted to know why that had happened to me because i remember like being in sort of my early 20s and and hearing people who had depression and how they'd explain like their brain had sort of turned against them and, and i was like i can't relate to that i i honestly couldn't but now i can i like i know exactly what they mean now that I've been through it, it literally is the voice in your head is telling you all of the things that you, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Um, I'm telling you all the things that you don't want to hear and you just give up. You like mentally, you're just like, what's the point? It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And 
I think for me, like I said, when I started, when when my therapist started, is it my therapist or Brene Brown? I don't know because she she sent me a link to Brene's TED Talk, and I always say that, that sort of changed my life. The one on vulnerability. And then I started telling my story. I, I told my story to sort of four of my closest friends, just, you know, heart on the sleeve, just t- telling them exactly how it was. And it was hard. But what I noticed and found very interesting was after I'd done that to four people separately uh, on individual terms, each one of them opened right back with something they were struggling with that they'd never told anyone before. And that's when I was like, right, okay, this is this is interesting. Um me being vulnerable is almost given someone else the permission to be vulnerable back. Yeah. And then, like I said, I think curiosity was just, I've always been curious. So then I wanted to know why this had happened. Like I had, I was, you know, I had money in the bank. I had, you know, a good job. I, I you know, my business partners with everything that I was going through, they're like, Dave, just take as much time off as you need. Sort yourself out. We'll take care of the business. So, you know, I had literally, I very fortunate in that regard that I had nothing really to worry about. Um, but even before I, I was, I was very privileged and that was, that was hard. I was like, like, cause that just added to the shame. I know we've talked a lot about shame in the, in the Wednesday, uh, groups, but, um, yeah, I felt so shameful. I'm like, what have I got to be depressed about? Like I've literally got, you know, there's people with so many more worries in the world than I have. And here I am feeling sorry for myself. It's pathetic. And I, you know, I know now that's a very toxic way of looking at it, but that's the story that was going on. Um, and and yeah, so it was just I wanted to know why, like why did that happen? Why? Um, and I just started reading. I needed to know more. I needed to, you know, I started reading more books. Like I said, Bessel van der Kolk's "The Body Keeps the Score" was the first one, and then "Lost Connections" by John Hari, and then uh, reading about polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges. And all of a sudden, it was like these pieces of the jigsaw just started appearing, and I started putting the pieces together and be like, "Oh, I'm not broken." This was actually just a response from my body to a life that was not fulfilling me right now. This, you know, I was having a very natural response to an external circumstance or an external situation, an external environment. And um, once you have that awareness, you can fix it. I say this to a lot of people now. It's like the awareness is key because imagine trying to be a firefighter and you go into a burning building with a blindfold off. You can have all the tools, but you've got no idea where to point them. And the awareness is like taking the blindfold off. And you're like, ah, there's the problem. Now I can fix it. And uh, so yeah, that was that was part I think that was it. I've just always been curious. I mean, even this is gonna sound so geeky. Last night I was watching something on YouTube and I read a comment and it was like, What's your favorite mathematical formula? And I was like, What? People have favorite mathematical formulas. And then someone replied with like E I pi equals minus one. And I, I was like, well, how does that work? So I, I then start, I was stuck on Wikipedia and these weird math blogs for like an hour trying to understand how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so my mind, if it, I'm, I'm perfect on a pub quiz team because if I've read something once, it's probably in my brain somewhere. Um, but yeah, right. so curiosity and awareness, I think, would be. I could, I could think of better ways of spending evenings, Dave. Mate, uh, so could I. <laughs> My brain takes over sometimes. The curiosity takes over. So, what is this? <laughs> so, so on your um, Instagram and and um, other stuff, you you um, point to the fact that you're a sort of trauma 
faith-based um, sort of advocate and and um, and and sort of mental health yes. uh, activist. How? Why specifically trauma? What got you into the, into that side of things? And how how is that important? Uh, that's a great question, Andy. I think trauma is well. Again, I probably blame Bessel to begin with because obviously the body keeps a score. Bessel talks a lot about trauma. Uh, he actually ran the trauma center in Boston in America for a, for a long time. And that's where a lot of his research was coming from, was trauma research. And he was talking about depression, anxiety, PTSD, even ADHD. He was talking about all these different mental health illnesses or diagnoses and how in his research, there was always a link to some form of trauma. And obviously, you know, me being a lay person at the time was like trauma, as in what, like a you know broken bone trauma. You know, you hear about it all the time in like ER, and well, it's like no, like anything like mental health trauma, emotional trauma, childhood trauma, behavioural trauma, um, relationship trauma. There's so many different types of trauma, and I don't know. It just started making sense. Like the more that I was reading journals and, and articles and the research that was done by these fantastic people much smarter than I am it sort of I, I, I couldn't get away from it and then I was reading uh, well actually I went to go and see an American guy called Mastin Kip um, down in London he did a webinar in London in September 2018 I think uh, and I'd read Mastin, Mastin did a book called Claim Your Power, and I, I read that, and I got it, and he, he sort of, a lot of his content more recently had been going more trauma-based, and it was just resonating a lot with, you know, the things that I was reading, um, and then I, I, I was in America in uh, January this year, 2020, and I saw Mastin again in Miami, he was doing a seminar, and I went along, and ended up doing a, a program with him for the past six months. I was being coached by him and I've just completed a, a, a program with him, a certificate program, a trauma-informed program. So I don't know. I just feel like that watching him work and learning about this space, it seems like for a lot of severe mental health issues, there's a an occurrence of trauma, usually at childhood, mm-hmm. usually which influences attachment styles um, and usually influences the body's response to threat or danger and leads to things like depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't get me wrong, there are instances obviously of more like situational trauma, so it doesn't have to be from childhood. But I would say even there's, there's elements of mild trauma um, in probably everyone, like you think about the first time you were dropped off at school and you see your mom walking away or your dad walking away through the door, you panic. You're like, I don't, I'm being left. I'm being abandoned. That is a very mild form of trauma. It's mm. very normal. Everybody goes through it. That's how we learn that safety comes back at the end of the day when the parent returns. But at that moment, it's traumatic. Um, yeah. So I do think there's there's elements of very small traumas. Uh, obviously, there's, it's awful doing this work sometimes because you hear some absolutely abhorrent capital T yeah. trauma stuff which goes on at childhood. But yeah, oh my yeah, god, yeah. And I think there's also, like I said, situational trauma. You know, somebody could get in a car crash. You know, witness and and somebody getting killed in an accident. And and 
in that moment, that is a trauma and that's going to affect, that can really affect people's those lives. So again, I think trauma mm-hmm. is at the heart of a lot of things. I think when we bring a more of a trauma-informed approach to mental health, we're going to see much better results because in fact, we're getting to the root cause. We're not just dealing with symptoms anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I'm probably would so you, up on trauma right now. Would you Would you say that, would you go so far as to say that trauma is at the base of every mental health problem? I would say I'm probably not qualified to make that claim. But mm. from what I've seen so far, I would say the vast majority, there is uh, an, certainly an element of trauma that leads to some sort of dysregulation. And give us give us some example because yeah most listeners because I've read read the Bessel book as well which mm-hmm. you know I think it's amazing but uh, give the listeners an idea of what trauma actually is because you know for some a lot of people they might just think it's yeah like you say you know yeah being no. being being um, attacked or something but there's there's loads of different types isn't there absolutely absolutely in fact. If we steer away from the obvious ones, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, abandonment, all those sorts of things, they're obviously childhood traumas and no child should ever have to go through them. Um, But it doesn't have to be that obvious. And the best example I can probably give you off the top of my head is my own. Um, When I was, and this this is fascinating, this was what really unlocked for me where my perfectionism came from and also potentially where my... What's the word I'm looking for? Procrastination came from. In certain ele- in certain elements of business, I would procrastinate on things. Even though I was very much a doer, if something didn't feel right or whatever, it, I would I would not do it. I would find a reason not to do it. And now I know why that is. And it's all linked to perfectionism. And that perfectionism came from, again, having done a lot of... Again, I, I can't... I can't claim to be a, a trauma-informed coach if I've not been through it myself. So a lot of the things that I talk about, I've physically been through. I've been through sort of regressions and things to childhood memories. And and the one thing that came up for me with that, which really was what I would call my root cause, was when I was 11, I uh, had sat a maths test. It wasn't a big math test. It was just like a progress test we did. I think I was in year seven or eight around that year around that age so 11 or 12 i think i was 11 i was always the youngest in the class um and i got 96 percent on this math test and that was like the the moon just turned gold you know i i'm i was never the math kid not i'm still not good with numbers it, that's probably why it took me an hour to look up that formula last night. It probably would have taken most people 10 minutes. Um, it's like, what does cosine mean again? Um, so I got 96% and I was like super happy. I was, um, all my friends were calling me a geek and a swat and a nerd and all the rest of it. And I was fine with that because I was just really happy. And I couldn't wait to go home and tell my mom and dad. And I went home, I told my mom, and she was like, oh, man, that's really great. You know, I I could, I never got 96% in any test that I did, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then dad came home from work. I said, dad, dad, I got 96% in this math test. And he turned around and his first words were, what happened to that other 4%? No. And right. that, right there. Now, this sounds ridiculous, 
like to a 30 year old to a 35 year old listen to this going well that one sarcastic comment from you i was like yes because in that moment as an 11 year old boy looking for acceptance and approval from the one person he looks up to the most who he wants to make the most proud of him he just cut told that 96 percent was not enough and only then is 100 percent acceptable do you know what it's um you you mentioned when you first started about the um I mean, this is what I love about your story. That it's very relatable. Mm-hmm. You had the job, you had this, but you were kept on chasing the moving goalposts. And yeah. as you mentioned, trauma and that, and how it ties in, mm-hmm. it re- that really, it just like yeah, totally <laughs> that makes sense, it makes doesn't it? Sense. <laughs> it makes perfect yeah. sense. Because it was never enough, no matter what I did, no matter what I achieved. And that was the big thing that my therapist sort of said to me: "Was like, do you ever celebrate like any sort of business wins?" And I was like, "No, we just move on to the next one. We just keep moving." Nine, and she just nine, like rolled yeah. her eyes and tutted and said that she hated working with perfectionists. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's totally true. So from that, from eleven years old, ninety six percent was not good enough. It had to be a hundred. And of course, we know this now. Like as you know, one you know, perfection is not possible. There's two arguments. You can either say that perfection is not possible, or that you are perfect, imperfectly perfect as you are. Um, but. You know, and, and it was actually in a conversation with Mastin when I would, I, we'd been through the original incident, the root cause moment. And he sort of said to me, he's like, he's like, he sort of said, you have to forgive me. It's an, like an American analogy. He said, but, you know, like the best baseball players in the world, they miss seven times out of 10 mm-hmm. when they're batting. Like, but they bat at least like a 300 uh, point average or whatever. So it's like, they hit the ball three times out of 10 and that's considered you're crushing it if you're at that level. So right, it was like, you know what I mean? It was like even the best baseball players in the world, they're not hit. They're not perfect. They're not hitting 10 out of 10 because it's, that's just ridiculous to expect that. And it was, that's what that was, I guess at the moment where I realized that I'd been just almost chasing my tail the entire time. I was chasing the impossible. And yeah. that was sacrificing my happiness because I was never going to get there. I was never going to get there. So do you do you think? Um, so if if it, if this is sort of resonating with any listeners and and they think, well, shit, yeah, that that sort of stuff happens to me happened to me when I was younger. I'd like to sort of explore that area. I mean, I know that. I mean, we'll talk about what you actually do as a coach um, mm-hmm. later. But what? Um, what is available to people who, who, you know, want to explore, you know, I mean, cause I know there's EMDR and somatic mm-hmm. healing and stuff like that. Do you want to just, um, go through this, the sort of therapies that are out there at the moment? Oh, I mean, there's, there's so many, um, there's so many therapies these days. Like I said, you've got EMDR, you've got CBT, you've got TFT, you've got EFT, ABCD, LMNOP, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you've got all the, <laughs> all the numbers, no, all the no, letters even. No, 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 that's true. But CBT isn't a trauma therapy. No. A CBT, no <laughs> so I'm, I'm talking about the specific sort of okay. trauma, the sort of cut. Because to me, trauma is, is, you know, that sort of thing is, is it's now the sort of cutting edge of, of, of mental health treatment. You know, you've got years and years ago, you got people that got, uh, you know, electrocuted. Um, <laughs> yeah. then, then you, then you got the sort of, um, drugs, uh, yeah. you know, you got, you got the therapy then you got the drugs. Um, and now we're sort of seeing that, you know, to quote the verve, the drugs don't work sometimes, you know, <laughs> and, and, um, 
and yes and and so to me trauma therapy is the sort of cutting edge so yeah what 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 can people you know do basically what, what how can they explore that um <clears throat> so i guess it's i um again let's talk back to bessel like his book is called the body keeps the score for a reason um when we talk about like nervous system uh, which is pretty much what's in charge of of your emotional response. Your mental health is emotional health, and the nervous system plays a huge part in that. 80% of your nervous system fibers run from body to brain, and only 20% run brain to body. So a lot of the latest research is now saying that actually doing like a top-down approach, so like a, a CBT, you know, a mind-focused you know, approach down, is not going to be as effective as a bottom-up approach. So starting with the body and working upwards. So that's when we start looking at things like Peter Levine's somatic experiencing, somatic therapies. Um, like I said, EMDR is another thing which has seen a lot of good results recently, um, especially with trauma. Um, you've got things like neurofeedback and all these different ways. And, and I think the key is, you just have to find the thing that works best for you. Like, I think at the heart of everything, no matter what modality, whatever therapy it is that you're looking at, if you're th- if you're not resonating with the therapist, if you've not if the if the therapist has been unable to create safety with you, you're always going to have a limited success because only when safety is created can then you feel safe enough to revisit that traumatic part of you or that be vulnerable in a way, which is then going to allow you to heal and to reframe that story that you've been telling yourself. Um, it's, it's, <clears throat> I would say, again, look to the body. Like we all know, well, we don't all know, silly thing to say, but anybody who's had a panic attack or an anxiety attack will know that it's not all in the head. You think about having an anxiety attack, your heart starts beating, you start sweating, you know, you, your blood pressure rises, you, you know, your breathing changes. That's not a head response. That is a full body response. Mm-hmm. So I always say to anybody who's like, who's, you know, prone to having these anxious responses is the first thing that we can do is regulate your breathing in that moment, because it's impossible for you to be anxious whilst you were exhaling longer than you are inhaling because you're basically sending the exact opposite message to the body. What what happens is when you are triggered by an anxious response is your body goes into what Stephen Porges would call a, a sympathetic response. It's fight or flight. It's preparing to either run away or to fight a danger. So what it does, the, body's, the way the body does that is it oxygenates blood. And the way it does that is by breathing sharp, sharp and shallow and quickly. So <laughs> it's really taking in that oxygen. Now, when you do a long exhale, you're actually purging the body, or you're basically bringing that down. So we all know that in that moment, when you, if you can control your breathing, you can actually control the anxiety response, as long as it's appropriate to do so. Like Again, if you're being chased by a tiger, you don't be like, okay, I'm just going to do some deep breaths right now. <laughs> like, no, that's a perfectly acceptable response. In the moment, anxiety is not a bad thing. Like, anxiety has kept us safe for hundreds of thousands of years. However, mm-hmm. when we're having an anxiety attack sat in our living room, that's like, hmm, this is not a time where I need to be running or fighting anything. I need to figure out what is triggering that response within me. 
But firstly, to do that, we need to control this. We need to get this body back on back on board. Uh, and then yeah. once we have the body, and, and again, we can get a little bit more scientific in that. It's like when we have that response, the anxious response, our prefrontal cortex, like the part, the part of the brain right at the front, which looks after sort of logic and cognition and reasoning, that goes offline. That Because right now, our brain's in survival mode. I think it's the hippocampus which kicks in. I'm not sure. But, you know, our body at that point is not thinking logically or rationally or, or anything like that. So if you've got someone who is constantly in a state of anxiety, constantly in a state of fight or flight, no amount of CBT is going to help because guess what? That cognitive part of their brain, that cognitive behavioral therapy is not working. It's not online. Mm. So... Mm. You know, we need to, that's why we look at the body. Like, what's going on in the body? Where do you feel it? A lot of, when I say that to a lot of people that I work with, it's like, where do you feel that right now? It's either in the heart, it's in the stomach. It's those usual feelings that we have when, you know, you, again, if you're feeling anxious, heart's beating, it's in the chest. If you're feeling sort of depressed or dread, it's usually in the stomach, that pit of the stomach feeling. So Mm -hmm. we look to the body. And I think, you know, when we have, I would say to anyone listening who wants to know more about that, definitely look at polyvagal theory um and look up somatic experiencing that will hopefully give you a lot a, a good place to start looking and obviously the body keeps a st- score by bessel um but yeah, yeah. The, 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 i think it, it's it all it there's a lot of things at play safety is key you need to feel safe with your therapist or whoever it is who, who's doing the, the work um and and because without that nothing is really going to get through to you at the level that it needs to mm. Which is which is why which is why um, yoga and and um, you know sort of mindful breathing and that really works because uh, because that's concentrating on the breath and the body. You yeah, know, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I've said this a lot of times. Like, I credit uh, meditation and Kundalini yoga as some of the best things for my that helped me in my recovery because obviously meditation and mindfulness kept me in the present moment, stopped worrying about like the future and all the past, but also Kundalini yoga just made me focus on the body and stillness and energy and all that sort of getting a bit spiritually woo woo stuff. But um, yeah, I, I I do. Some people are just naturally um, against it or objective towards it, which is fine. It's not for everyone. But I think if you're naturally curious and you're willing to give it a try, then there's a lot to be said, again, for having that awareness in the body. Yeah. It's funny because when I did um, what helped me, because CBT did help me Mm -hmm. um, quite a lot, but it helped me when I was over my main sort of really anxious period, you know, so I had a time um when i was really bad um but uh the the sort of psychodynamic therapy where i did go back to my childhood and uh the yoga and the and the mindfulness stuff that really got me down to a sort of base level and then the cbt helped but you're right if i if i was still in that really anxious state then there's no way i could have done those those cbt models where you're rationalizing your thoughts mm-hmm. so it, it does that does make a lot of sense and 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 you know and it also sort of tells me that there's no sort of one plan fits all approach to mental absolutely. health is there no you know absolutely not and and yeah just to clarify i don't want to sound like i'm demonizing cbt 
uh, I know some fantastic CBT practitioners and you know, when you are not in, like you said, not in that panic moment, CBT can be fantastic for reframing the, the thought processes that are going on in the brain. But like I said, if you are in, if if you're in the sticky end of that, you know, panic moment, then CBT is just not going to get you. It's not going to go in. The, the like I said, the prefrontal cortex is not on board at that point, and mm. no amount of somebody telling you to think differently is going to help because you're too busy trying to survive. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. that's that's absolutely right. And Andy, there's there is no one size fits all. You know, I've spoken to people who think CBT is amazing. I've spoken to someone who thought CBT was the biggest waste of time that they've ever tried. I've spoken to people who thought antidepressants saved their life. I've spoken to people who thought antidepressants nearly killed them. You know, there is no one size fits all. And I think that's the a large part of what I try and do with people is um to let get the, empower them to find the tools that work for them. Um, because like I said, like for me, meditation and Kundalini yoga worked great. Other people like, I I can't do yoga. I, I'm not sitting in silence for half an hour. I'm like, well, mm. have you tried journaling? Maybe writing's your thing. You know, it's, it's just finding what works for, for the individual. There is no one size fits all. Otherwise we wouldn't have a depression epidemic that we currently have. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do? Oh, sorry, Tommy. No, go on. Okay. Go for go it, carry on. No, just to say, do you want to tell us tell us a little bit about what what you actually do as a as a tra- trauma and um, yeah. informed coach? Yeah, of course. So um, I, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. Uh, I cannot diagnose anybody. But what I can do is sort of guide them through the journey, I guess, that I've been on, and use the tools that I know have worked for me. Bring this sort of new science of mental health, like I said, polyvagal theory. Bring this awareness, and you know, reframe that story. I think as a coach, what you know, I work with people mainly one on one because I think it's it's what's needed at this moment. Like you, you like I said, there's not a one size fits all. We need to work one on one, and we need to figure out exactly what is going on with you and again, how we can together work through this. One of the things that why I do what I do, and and this is why I enjoyed working with Mastin so much, is when you're trying to fix the problem on your own, you only have your own voice, really, to listen to. Um, And don't get me wrong, like elements of self-regulation, as you know, as I would call it, are possible. However, in order to get there, you first need to co-regulate, as in you need to regulate with another person, with someone else who is safety, who is not going to judge you, who's going to make you feel calm and and talk through and show you, you know, basically, again, reframe the story that you're telling yourself. Through doing that, we can start then. A lot of work that I do seems to revolve around purpose. A lot of people seem to have lost their way uh are feeling depressed and anxious feel like it's a life sentence feel like they're never going to have their life back and you know once we can again bring that awareness to what it is that they're feeling make them realize that they're feeling it for a reason that there's nothing they're not broken that they're having a usually a very normal response a very healthy nervous system response we can then reframe the story and from there we can then reconnect them with a purpose and once we reconnect them with a purpose life changes for a lot of people we can create healthier habits they now have a reason that they you know want to you know live life they want to get up in the mornings they want to do things uh which is 
impossible for a lot of people struggling with depression to even comprehend that that is a an outcome but it absolutely is so yeah that's that's a large part of what what i do um it's one-on-one stuff uh, i have toyed with doing some group work uh, on a on a small scale but right now it's it's all one-on-one stuff and again for anybody who's feels like they're stuck with something um any sort of mental health ailment and they've resonated with what i've said or they they you know i then get in touch i do free discovery calls where we can have a chat and we can have a talk and see if i think that i can help you in any way and if i can't i'll be more than honest and say i can't help you but i'll try and find you somebody who is a better fit um and yeah we just go from there have a sort of a, a relationship mate i love you dave you really oh, are the nuts too, Tommy. And you know what? I think you, you know, you said something which is again every time we speak, something you say just really like, you know, it sort of hits home. And just again, we've all we've all mentioned this, uh, but you said just realizing that people are having a normal reaction. Yes. And I think that for a lot of people, especially men, actually realizing that actually I'm not weird or weak for feeling like this. It is normal. And yeah, yeah it, that really is. That can be the the sort of trigger point, I guess, to go on to bigger and better things, like you said. That for me was, like I said, along with Brene, that was one of the, cha- the the big changing points in my life was when I realized that I wasn't broken, but that my nervous system was actually trying to keep me safe. And that is a huge, like, when you realize that, again, looking at polyvagal theory, your body does certain things to keep you safe. Fight or flight is the first one that it will go to. But if that doesn't work, it will shut down. It will play dead. It will go dorsal, as they say, which is basically immobility. That's what depression for a lot of you know. You think about the stereotypical: what does depression look like? It's somebody curled up in bed. Why are they curled up in bed? It's because their body's trying to keep them safe. Right there is safe for them. So when we have this awareness, we can write, okay, well you're safe. How do we now? But you know, you may be safe, but it's not desirable lifestyle. You're not going to lay in bed for the next five years. So how do we now start? retraining that nervous system to like okay we need to lower the or maybe increase the tolerance that you have for danger or maybe just turn your watchtower down a little bit so it's not as hyper vigilant and yeah that's a large part of it when you realize that you're having a perfectly normal response to a trigger then the work can start right well thank you body for keeping me safe but this is not desirable right now Amazing. Fantastic, amazing, and and so and so you work you work with any uh, you know any person, and you know if you think you can't help them, then then you you you're you're honest and that. So so 100%. even people that so even people that are quite sort of um, for want of a better word, sort of quite sort of bad in 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 the sense that you know like some some quite seriously depressed and people or, or and uh, you know addicted mm-hmm. people or or you know or do, or do you sort of help people that are sort of already on the journey or just whoever whoever comes your way so it depends it depends i've worked with a lot of different i can't give you there's not like a a persona of like the perfect client that i work with or the, the average client because i work with um young men who you know are struggling with anxiety i've worked with women who felt a lot of shame and depression around their sexuality i've worked with older um adults who have been dealing with you know depression for a long time but i've never felt anything that really resonated with them 
Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I would say is obviously if you if somebody is dealing with like a severe crisis um, and yeah. could potentially yeah. be a harm to themselves or to others, then that yeah. is way beyond. Way they they need they need something much more than I can give them. Um, yeah. So I you know I, I I'm very aware that I'm very. I stay in my lane. That's why I say it's very important that I first have a call with someone, hopefully a video call, so that I can see them. I can sort of, you know, have that connection visually um, and see how they respond to things that I'm saying, how their body responds. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it all comes down to safety. And obviously, like I said, it, they have to be willing to do the work and, and you know, trust in. Well, you know, the things that I'm I'm talking about and the stuff that, you know, I've learned through doing the trauma certification stuff is, you know, I there's if if I don't if I generally got a feeling that this person needs more than I can help them with right now, or, you know, like I said, if they're they need more of a crisis management at that moment and, you know, I may be something that they need a little further down the line, then I will tell them in obviously in, in the in the kindest possible way and, and give them as many resources as I can to try and get them the help that they would need in that moment. Um, but so yeah, I, the most people that I work with are those who've either tried therapy and didn't really get on with it. Um, have tried antidepressants and maybe no longer want to be reliant on them. Um, obviously that's, I, again, I don't tell anybody to come off antidepressants. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't get involved with drugs, but, um, yeah, it's, mm. it's a whole host of peers. Whoever feels, again, I can always say it's probably safety. Whoever feels safe with me, with my story and in the ability that I'm able to create safety with them. Love it. Love it. I like, um, going back to something you posted a little while ago and, uh, again, something that I thought was really nice. Uh, your quote was, trauma is not an excuse, it's the explanation. Yes. And yes. I, yeah. I think a lot of people could do with hearing that, you know. it's That's an interesting one because that comes from uh, <laughs> a lot of, every time that you look at some horrendous atrocity that happens in the world, um, I now can see it through a trauma-informed approach. And instead of saying, oh, that person's a bad person, I'm now asking what happened to that person? What made them act that way? Now, trauma doesn't excuse their behavior. So again, if somebody murders someone, I'm not saying, you know, oh, he should be let off with murder because it was he was, you know, beat up as a child. That's why he did it. It's not his fault. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is trauma is gives us the explanation as to why and also then gives us how do we fix that problem? Not just in that person, but in future generations. So, yeah, trauma is not an excuse, but it is the explanation. It doesn't excuse bad behavior. It doesn't excuse narcissists. It doesn't excuse any of that. But it does explain why they do the things that they do. And that gives us an insight into how do we fix that. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's a brilliant, that's a brilliant quote. So how do, how do people um, get in touch with you then? How do people... Um... Uh, yeah. good question, Andy. Uh, the, the, the place where I'm most active is on Instagram. So I'm just the Dave Furness on Instagram, all one word, or I'm on Facebook as well. Dave Furness, I've got a page on Facebook. I don't, I need to update it more than I do. Um, but I also have a website, just go to DaveFurness.com again, all one word. And, uh, yeah, you can find out more about me and the coachings that I offer there. Uh, and yeah, follow on Instagram. Like I said, I try and put some inspirational stroke 
trauma informed uh, content out on on Instagram as well as podcasts as well. The podcast, the link to the podcast are on my Instagram, the Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. So again, there's a fantastic episode with Tommy and Andy on there. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, he's he's much better than us, Tommy, at putting. (laughs) He's he's much better than us at putting stuff up. Come on, we need to up our game, Tommy. (laughs) He is a machine. He's a machine. But you know what? Again, an absolute approachable machine. And yeah, I I don't think we can sort of give you enough superlatives and say how highly we both think of you, man. Because you really are. You do. You add a lot of value to what we do as well. So we're really grateful. Really well, I I, yeah. I feel the same way, guys. I, I totally take my hats off to the both of you for what you do. You put fantastic content out, and even just like I said, the, the way that you connect people with your 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 group, like you you share your platform, you share your voice with so many, and that's uh, an incredibly uh, noble thing that you do, and something which I have the utmost respect for. And again, thank you for for sharing your platform with me and allowing me to, allowing us together to uh, to get the message out there around mental health, especially men's mental health, because uh, it's it's very much needed right now. Amazing, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, well, I think because we're fifty two minutes in, which um, I think that's I think that's about enough, really. Um, so that's been that's been really enlightening, and I hope the listeners have got a lot out of that because I certainly did. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, Tommy, anything? Do any any admin you need to do? Tell people about anything, or I, I think that's it. Apart from, as always, we're available every Wednesday at eight pm uh, on our Zoom chats, and we look forward to yep. welcoming all of you gents there, whoever would like to join us, and hopefully Dave will be there as well, offering some more. I'll do my best wisdom for us and yeah. dave i think Fantastic. we need to do um a, a part two of this because uh, i don't think there's a you know there's always so much more that i think we can talk about i think we should do i i'd love to i, I love our chats when we have charlie as well so maybe we should get charlie on as well and just have a group chat Absolutely. i think that'd be an interesting podcast Charlie, I said Charlie's yeah. just an encyclopedia to me. I, I, he's a, he always <laughs> yeah he, he asks fantastic questions charlie and uh yeah i love that Amazing. yeah yeah brilliant awesome. all right okay well anyway thanks a lot listeners we'll catch you next time this this has been man up uh from tommy and andy and our guest dave we'll speak to you later bye-bye bye guys bye-bye.